0: Good morning, Connection Church. Welcome to Food Coma Sunday. It's a great day that we're all just kind of, little belches I hear all over the building. Recovery, all that good stuff. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope your traditions and all the things that you do uh, happen for you. I don't know about you, but uh, with our tradition, we have the regular Thanksgiving thing and then like every meal after that, you have the conversation of, "Well, let's get it back out." And you have to get all the dishes out and start again, and fix another plate, and wait in line for the microwave, all that good stuff. Everybody kind of does that, you know. In the good old days, we just left it out till Saturday. You didn't even refrigerate it; you just kind of picked through the things that hadn't grown anything yet and started throwing things away. We also have a tradition that we'll usually find something that didn't make it to the buffet table. Like it was left in the, in the refrigerator or the oven or the car, you know, something that we just, oh, I forgot about that casserole and we start eating that on Monday. Um, so I don't know about y'all, but we, we had a great Thanksgiving and, and it's fun to, to, to be able to do that, spend time with family and all that good stuff. Um, and then there's the Eagles. Anybody have, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was awesome and hope everybody who, Didn't stay for the rest of the game. Kicked themselves right square in the teeth this morning, you know, to go back and, oh, wow, we missed a really good one. I watched it from home because that's what I do. And um, I like to see how good the B team of ESPN3 can keep up with the ball and not know where it is half the time when they're following with the cameras. Everybody agree with that? It's like, I see why you don't do the ESPN not plus or the third one. It's the third team. Anyway, enough about camera people. Uh, We're going to continue with the appearing, as John said, and um, just kind of in in that preparation for for Christmas and Jesus coming and talking about um, the the things that were happening and um, how Jesus came to to be that sacrifice for us. So I want you to turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 29. Uh, Brandon left off with verse 28. Last week, and we're going to go with 29 through 42, but I also want you to turn to Isaiah. Anybody familiar with uh, the scripture? Isaiah really talks a lot. As a prophet, he talked about the coming of Jesus years and years and years prior to Jesus coming to earth. And we're going to look at chapter 53 in the book of Isaiah, beginning there with verse 1. So if you have your Bible... Turn there if you don't. It will be up on the screen for you in the NIV translation. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that would, should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men and men of sorrows and familiar with suffering Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit on his mouth. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light and be satisfied by his knowledge. A righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Now flip over to John chapter 1, again beginning with verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that might be revealed to Israel. Then God, John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and said, Look, the Lamb of God. Let's pray together. God, it's our prayer this morning as we break up into your word, as we have worshiped and, and ushered in your spirit, Lord. We invite you to continue to work in our hearts. I pray, God, that my words will will be clear and that you speak through me to talk about the things that we want to talk about today when it comes to sacrifice and the messiness of our lives and what draws us into that attitude of service and sacrifice for others. So God, speak to our hearts this morning. Break our hearts where they need to be broken. Mend us where we need to be mended this day, God. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. So there's a story of a professor, a young professor, who's just about to start class, and his wife walks into the classroom. She went up to him, and the two of them had a brief conversation, probably something about, um, will you bring something home, or stop by the grocery store, just, I'm sure it was some type of small talk, but she seemed to, to be on, on you know, a specific journey to talk to her husband that day. As she turned to, to leave and so her husband could, you know, start class, one of the students stopped her and began to admire what she was carrying in her arms, it a tiny baby just a few weeks old. So they were not sure if Kathleen was trying to delay the start of what promised to be yet another exhilarating lecture in Philosophy 101. But she did want to admire the baby. You know, we've been there kind of hoping to get the professor a little off track. Sometimes hoping they don't even show up, right? But kind of, let's get them talking about something else that might be more interesting than what they prepared today. But all were thankful to Kathleen because once she began to talk about what a beautiful little baby this was, Dr. Watson, he really began to beam. And he was so proud. Rather than begin class, he allowed the students to see what a fine young son he had. But it was Kathleen herself who kind of interrupted this mood and she said, oh, there's nothing more innocent or cleaner than a tiny little baby. Insert laughter, all parents right there. Dr. Watson, his eyes red from several weeks of no sleep. His wife, with her frizzy, disheveled hair, looked at each other and began to laugh hysterically. Because they knew what Kathleen did not know. There's nothing innocent about babies. Let's just be honest. They are the most self-centered life forms in the galaxy. When they're hungry, you would best forget about what you're doing and stuff some food in them. And since what goes in must come out, eventually you'll find out just how dirty a baby is. But Kathleen, she didn't really totally understand that she's confused with this laughter she never had to care for a baby before she didn't have any brothers or sisters she was uh you know kind of alone growing up her impression of babies probably came from you know playing with dolls as a child and simply admiring babies for a few moments the ones that are cleaned and bathed and well-fed and available for public viewing Dr. Watson tried to explain this to Kathleen, how much trouble this baby was. He spoke a voice of experience having two other boys already. Talked about how they get sick, how they fight, how they call so much, and how stressful being a parent is. But Kathleen, in this kind of naive, idealistic view of the world, just did not understand. She looked as if Dr. Watson was speaking a foreign language to her. And she finally asked him, if babies are so much trouble, why in the world would you have children in the first place? Well, Dr. Watson said, young lady, you don't have any idea what life's all about. You won't begin to really understand the meaning of life until you hold your own child. That flesh of your flesh, your blood of your blood. And then that tiny little baby looks up at you with great gusto and vomits into your shirt pocket. What Dr. Watson was trying to explain to Kathleen was not that children are a lot of trouble, even though they are. He was trying to convey to her that while they are a lot of trouble, they are worth it. In life, we have often forgotten that the things that are most important are often the most trouble. They require the greatest work and demand the most sacrifice. It's true with children. It's true with marriage. It's true with our careers. But it's most of all true for our spirituality. Because we tend to isolate ourselves. We, we want to to keep the messiness of life away from us because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't smell good sometimes. doesn't taste good sometimes. And it's right in our face we like everything to be clean and sanitary we want the joys of life without the pain we want the pleasures of life without the work and we want to enjoy those accomplishments without learning from failures nobody desires to fail it's as if we want the biography of our life to have this strip of paper around it that reads sanitize for your protection If I had to point out one great flaw of the great nation we live in, it's that we have forgotten the value of sacrifice. Maybe you noticed the Red Shirt Brigade this morning. John talked a little bit about it. Rachel mentioned them. Those are many of our teenagers who are stepping into the roles of serving here at Connection. and We all know it's a sacrifice to serve. We have those awkward conversations and we, we talk to you from this stage from time to time about serving, that we want something for you, not from you. It's not a, a need to, we got to fill this hole and we got a hole here, a hole there. We don't look at it that way. We really want something for you because when we tend to sacrifice and we serve, we gain something in the process. But, but more so than that, that act of serving we want it to be taught that it comes from somewhere. Not just behavior being different or, or changing what we do, but really a desire to do that. A desire to serve, a desire to step in. And it, serving epitomizes the word sacrifice. Back in my youth ministry days a long, long time ago, I spent a ton of time with teenagers and they would occasionally talk to me about making something of themselves, that, that desire, that noble desire to to grow up and be something. And I had this young teenager share with me an essay. So one evening we were at the church and he said, I wrote this essay and I turn it in tomorrow, I want to see what you think about it. Because it has to do with, with what I want to be when I grow up. Well, this ought to be interesting. So this barely legible handwriting and grammar that was awful, I was trying to be encouraging as I was deciphering through this new foreign language I was reading. But he said this, Someday I hope to be somebody. I want to be an NBA star and play basketball and make commercials. But I know this will be hard and I might not make it, so if I can't get in the NBA, I might just be a doctor instead. So we can kind of laugh or smile at that, and those naive statements, but the sadness of that essay is that this young man did not See the need for sacrifice. He wanted to play basketball only for the joy of it, which is admirable. And there's nothing wrong with that, but of course, if you're going to play on a team, you have to sacrifice. You have to devote yourself to hours of practice and play under the direction of a coach. You have to exercise your body. He did none of that. As far as settling for just being a doctor, the grades weren't there, neither was the grammar maybe the handwriting, not because he didn't have the ability, but rather because he didn't make the sacrifice and devote himself to study. It's kind of the lottery. Many of us would love to win the lottery. Who wouldn't want to live the lottery, win the lottery? They just gave away like a quadrillion dollars, didn't they, in the lottery? But the problem with the desire is that it's still symptomatic of of longing for something without sacrifice, not taking any risk and just buy a ticket and win all this money that changes my life but I don't have to do anything. But Dr. Watson was right. You really do learn something about life when you hold your baby in your arms and you watch your child throw up in your shirt pocket. Life and the things that matter in life come at a cost. It's not always clean, it's not always easy, Sometimes things get messy. In the things of life that matter, we have forgotten the value of sacrifice. But sacrifice is central to the Christian experience. Jesus, in fact, is the great sacrifice made on our behalf. The first letter of John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In the text, it's John the Baptist who's the first to introduce Jesus to the world as being the Messiah. John could have called him so many things. It wasn't homeboy or the big guy upstairs. It wasn't Christ. It wasn't Son of God. It wasn't Messiah. It wasn't Savior. But what John calls him is the Lamb of God. And that packs a huge meaning according to what we now have in the Old Testament and stories that preceded Jesus. You see, the first time the Baptist sees Jesus in the Gospel of John, he tells the disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John baptized Jesus, and the next day he sees Jesus again and repeats to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. To call Jesus the Lamb of God is to call Him something that is not clean and is not tidy as Son of God or Savior. Because it recognizes that things in life that matter most come with a cost. In the things of life that matter, we have forgotten the value of sacrifice. Throughout the Bible, lambs are mentioned several times. The first mention is probably in Genesis when Abraham takes his only son Isaac to the mountains to worship God. Now, I personally don't like this story. This is a hard story to read. It's a hard story to comprehend. It's, it's difficult to, to even fathom Abraham in this situation. But I think it had to be way more confusing to Isaac than it was to anyone else there that day. See, Abraham's under the impression that God wants him to sacrifice his son Isaac in this act of worship. The father has not yet told Isaac this. Isaac looks around and he takes an inventory. Let me see. we got the rope for the lamb. We've got the wood to burn the lamb. And we've got the knife to kill the lamb. Hey, Dad. Yes, my son, Abraham, replies. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And as the story goes, as Abraham, we may have this vision. I have this picture from some Old, old Testament bad color movie, you know. And Abraham is got the knife outstretched up in the air about to pierce it into Isaac and thinking Isaac with a very confused look on his face. Off to the side is a lamb caught in the bushes. God himself has provided the sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God. In the history of Moses and the Israelites there is a very exciting moment when God's going to send the most terrible plague to all of Egypt. Firstborn sons will die. The firstborn Of Egypt, that is. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. And then they took the blood of the sacrificial lambs and put some on their doorposts. And that plague that was passing over passed over the doors where the blood was on the posts and preserved those babies that were Israelites. So, John the Baptist is probably remembering these stories from the Old Testament when he looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Most of all, he may have been remembering what the prophet Isaiah had said about the coming Messiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So, when John sees Jesus, he did not say, Look, here's your Savior. He doesn't say, Behold the Son of God. Instead, he says, The Lamb of God. A reminder that Jesus has come to pay a terrible price. In the things of life that matter, we've forgotten the value of sacrifice. And sacrifice is central to the meaning of the gospel. And the first letter of John says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, Jesus made a great sacrifice for us. We in turn should be willing to make sacrifices for others. Perhaps the reason many marriages fail today is that we've lost the willing willingness to sacrifice, even for our spouses. I have the... The honor of performing the wedding of my middle daughter coming up in February. I've been thinking about the the words and I want to get like really familiar and almost like memorize things and become muscle memory because I don't want to snot and cry through the whole thing. So I want to be really, really prepared and, and just glancing back through some of those vows and things that I've said so many times at so many weddings. I thought about this and and the sacrifices that we make in marriage and in the wedding service, you, you might recognize some of these vows to love each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. That's what we say, but it's not always what we mean. It's nice on that day. It feels right. Sounds pretty. But so often the vows in in our hearts are not those on the on the lips. Because the wedding vows are simply sometimes to love each other for better and health and rich. We want to stop there. And speaking of marriages, I'd like to congratulate Brandon and Susan on 23 years today. I'm going to give them a little hand. But talk to any couple. Talk to any couple who have been successfully married 30, 40, 50 years. Listen to their stories. It's not always about that great trip to Paris they had. I was thinking about this. Lisa and I have been married for 28 years this past August. We were looking at some old Christmas pictures this past week. We came across our first Christmas. And there was this... Skinny guy with dark hair standing next to my wife. I'm not really sure who he was. And, and she pointed out the Christmas tree. She goes, look at that. And she pointed to this spot where you could see about this much of the base of the Christmas tree. Like halfway up the tree. Like, you know, it wasn't very thick. But we were so proud. We had gotten our tree from Kroger in Macon. It was awesome. But just to see that. You know, part of the tree, the main part of the tree sticking out was so funny. We laughed about it. And we kind of pick on our kids today about, you know, we had one salary when they were first born and we we would choose who we would feed that day because we didn't have enough money. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We fed them most of the time, but they made it. But it wasn't always easy. We remember health, but we also remember sickness. Surgeries, up all night with sick children, hospital rooms, ambulance rides. We've done it all. But it's the sacrifices we've made for each other that make our love that much stronger. The easy times are the easy times. But those times of sacrifice, when it's not always healthy, when we're not we don't, are not comfortable financially, whatever that means. But when we had to make sacrifices and still have to make sacrifices, those are the times we grow. It's the same in our friendships, our careers, and even our church. No matter what your political thoughts or, or beliefs are, it doesn't really matter, but there was a, a really great sentence in a speech given by John F. Kennedy when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wish I had that accent. It's really cool. But now we ask what our country can do for us. We ask what our church can do for us. We ask what our career can do for us, what our community can do for us. And instead we should be asking what can we do for them? What is the sacrifice that we make? But isn't it true for us? The times when we give, the times when we sacrifice, don't you feel like you gain something in those moments? When you give, when you give something up, when you make that sacrifice, there's some type of feeling that goes with that. There's some type of feeling of accomplishment, especially when it's driven from our faith. When we believe that Jesus Christ died for us and made a sacrifice for us, and he laid down his life for us, and we began to be that living sacrifice, laying our lives down for other people. Life without sacrifice is without meaning, and love without cost is worthless. But sacrifice is central to the meaning of the gospel. As the first letter of John says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's so many things that I think of as as sacrifice. And as we were looking at old things this week and trying to be thankful and laughing about things, we uh, thought about our first Mother's Day we experienced. And our first daughter, had been born in April, so Mother's Day was really, really on the heels of that, and if I recall, it was the, the first time uh, Lisa and Annalise came to church, because that six or eight weeks were up, now it's so safe to be in the church nursery, you know, so we did that that day, and grandparents were there, and we lived over in West Georgia, and we decided to go out to eat, kind of a mom-and-pop uh, home cooking type of place, sort of like the Beaver House here, and We get in there and um, come to find out Annalise is is not very happy about Mother's Day. She's not very giving at this point at six weeks old and thankful for her mother. And um, Lisa and I had decided, she was much stronger about this, that we weren't going to be that family. You may know what I'm talking about. Because some of y'all might be that family that disrupt my dinner with your child. So... She was not very happy. It was very loud, and it was very bad, and she just said, I'm, I'm just going to take her home. I was like, no, don't. it's Mother's Day. I want you to stay here, but I couldn't offer to her what she needed, if you know what I mean, and, I, I, and all that was happening, and I was like, oh, I was just beside myself because I wanted her to be able to stay, but as a mother, she made so many sacrifices and still does as an awesome mom. But it was a sacrifice that she made even on Mother's Day to care for our child. And people ask me, how do you raise three kids, especially when it's not so innocent and not so clean? And as many of you, hopefully, most of you in your parents would answer the same way, sometimes, a lot of times, it's hard. But it's worth it. Especially now that my kids are adulting. And you're able to see decisions that they make that, Sometimes the direct result of what we instilled in them. Not all the time, but sometimes, and it's fun to see those blessings. I asked Chase to come and, and play for just a few minutes. And I'm going to kind of wrap this up and, and, and really challenge you. Because it challenged me earlier this morning and as I've been preparing for today about what sacrifice means, but more what drives that sacrifice. Why do we do it? Why do we not do it? Because as for Kathleen, you remember her in the the classroom at her university. She never married. She never gave birth to children. But there was an article about her in a magazine a few years ago about the child she adopted. It was not the innocent or clean baby she dreamed of when she was in college. The child was severely disabled. He had many struggles, including emotional, being emotionally disturbed from, from past trauma. He was physically unable to control his own body. And even as a teenager, continued to have to wear diapers. Caring for him had become a full-time job. Kathleen was a a minister and had taken a tiny little church where she lived in a small house owned by the church and where she received a very small salary for the pastoral care she provided to her congregation. Most of her life, however, was wrapped around this child and the nurture of this child who was so different than what she dreamed about so many years ago. In the article, the interviewer, had asked, how do you come to adopt this child? Kathleen talked about her early years of ministry, which she she helped out and and helped even start a ministry to the homeless and to the impoverished and, and to those who are victims of abuse. And she said, one day a mother placed this child in my arms and said, here, you take him. I can't deal with this anymore. The mother walked away before I could say anything. We worked very closely with state agencies and so the state let us take care of the child while they tried in vain to locate the mother or some other relative. Then one day I was holding the child and I felt such love for him. He was so sweet. He was so innocent. He just had a bath and had that clean baby smell. Then he did something that made me realize how much I loved this child. What did he do, the interviewer said. He threw up in my shirt pocket. And it didn't bother me a bit. Love demands sacrifice. Love demands sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He has paid the ultimate sacrifice for his love for us. Can't we learn to make some sacrifices for him and for his children around us? See, I think there are several groups of people who are here. I think there are some of us who are here who make sacrifices because it's it's just in our DNA. It's something that we desire to do. If you took a a spiritual gift inventory, you would just max out in in mercy and service. You're drawn to it. But that, that without faith, doesn't really go anywhere. You can help a lot of people and you can live a great life but ultimately what is the purpose? I also think there's some of us who sacrifice but get sucked in to what we can get from it. This is a a trap I admittedly fall into. It's It's a struggle sometimes to think about well if I do this maybe I can get this from it. But I think what I've I've realized that if I ever want recognition for something, it's like this quick fix. I might make a sacrifice and and feel this euphoria about it or somebody notices and and builds an ego of, of selfishness and pride. But then when I have experiences of doing something behind the scenes that no one knows about, it just lasts and lasts and lasts. It's like a long-lasting permanence because it comes from somewhere else. It's driven by my faith in what Christ has done for me, not what someone makes me feel like. And I think there's obviously there's always that other group of people just don't care. You just want what you want. You get what you want. We live selfishly and just get more and more and more and more. But I think ultimately of all the groups, if we claim to know Christ, I think it's a spiritual impossibility to live selfishly. If we believe what we believe, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for us, and God made him a sacrifice for us, then it should churn something in us. Churn something in us to lay down our lives for others. To be that living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God so today that's our challenge and maybe today in this food coma Sunday as we call it this Sunday after Thanksgiving that sort of launches our thought process to the birth of Christ that we'll celebrate in a few weeks maybe today's the day that you say you know what I've been listening to these messages, been coming to this place, or maybe this is the first time here that you've heard this message of of you laying something down that says, I need to start a relationship with Christ. And maybe that's what you need to do today is to begin that journey. What an awesome day to do that. To be able to say, today's the day where it starts for me. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to to lift your hand so we can pray with you, celebrate with you, wherever you are. If you lift your hand and say, I want to make that decision. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anybody else? So as we close, I'm going to just give you an opportunity right where you are you're also welcome to always use this the floor up here as as an altar somewhere to come and pray our prayer team's always available to pray with you if you have something that you need prayer for but I really want you to ask this question about sacrifice because we're talking about this a little bit between services is We as a church could offer all these things. Here's an opportunity here, here's an opportunity there. Plug in, get plugged in, serve, do all that. But ultimately, why? Because I don't think we change any of that for anybody just by changing your behavior. It's got to come from something, and it has to come from your relationship with God. And I think all of us in here know what it is that keeps us from sacrificing something. all know what that thing is that says, I know what I need to do, but I'm not willing to give it up. I know what that is. I know what keeps me from, from ultimately giving up. And it's not about going, I'm going to sell everything and walk around with burlap sack on. That's not, I mean, that's not what this church would ask you to do, but it is about the priority of life. Because we make sacrifices every single day for the things we want. So what is it for each of you? What is it for me? And during this time of prayer, I just want you to to pray. I just want to talk to God. I want you to be honest. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe it's about how much time you spend at work versus at home. Maybe it's about how much how little time you spend with your own children. Maybe it's about how you, how you treat your, um, your employees, how you treat your colleagues. Anything that's going on for you that you know, that I make a priority and I sacrifice for that. But ultimately, I know what God needs me to do. So just for the next few minutes, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you want to come up here, like I said, please feel free to do that. And let's go into this time of prayer as we close and I'll pray. God, hear our prayers this morning. You've given so much to each one of us just by the sacrifice you made with your son. But beyond that, you promise us each day that you'll be faithful to us and you always hold that up even in the messiness of our spirituality, the messiness of life, the things that are so difficult to comprehend God for many of us here today is the first Thanksgiving the first Thanksgiving without him without her the first Thanksgiving after the diagnosis the first Thanksgiving that carries weight but God in the midst of that messiness still call on us to make sacrifices and to serve. And as a church, God, I I pray for us to surround those who are brothers and sisters who are in the greatest need right now. Giving us opportunity to serve and to sacrifice for our brothers and sisters. Help us to not just see the need, but to step in and meet the need. And have the courage and obedience to do that. God, we're thankful for the one who went from death to life this morning. We're so thankful for her decision and pray as a church we surround her and walk her faith out with her. So God, as we leave this place today, we go our separate ways and we go into homes and restaurants and stores and our workplaces throughout this community. That people see us as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you and not to ourselves. So thank you, God. We love you and it's in your son's name we pray.